Trauma Therapist Podcast, episode 446. Are you ready to become the best version of yourself? Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support, and it is 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. No more worrying about finding the right provider or scheduling appointments. Cerebral brings it all to you whenever and wherever ever you need it. To get started on your path towards better mental health, Cerebral is giving you, the Trauma Therapist Podcast listeners, 15% off your first month of online therapy, medication, or both. Get started by going to Cerebral.com slash podcast and use the code the Trauma Therapist. That's Cerebral, C-E-R-E-B-R-A-L.com slash podcast. And don't forget to use the code the Trauma Therapist to get 15% off your first month. Make 2024 your best year yet. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Please see site for details. All right, guys, welcome to the Trauma Therapist Podcast. My name is Guy McPherson. My mission is to raise awareness of trauma and to support new trauma therapists just starting out on their trauma-informed journey. I do that through this podcast and my membership community, Trauma Therapist 2.0. If you're a therapist of any kind interested in learning about trauma and you're looking for support and inspiration, I invite you to check out Trauma Therapist 2.0 by going to Trauma Therapist 2 Com. That's Trauma Therapist, the number two, dot com. All right, let's get started. Several years ago when I was in graduate school and um, just starting seeing clients, I was doing a lot of commuting, like an hour and a half each way to my site. I was always thinking about my clients. Um, you know, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Uh, why didn't I do that? Why I should have done that? And I always thought to myself, wouldn't it be awesome if I had a like a seasoned master trauma therapist sitting right there beside me uh, in the passenger seat? Well, obviously that didn't happen. So I created the program and it's Trauma Therapist 2.0. It's my online community specifically dedicated for new trauma workers. If that's you, if you're just starting out on this trauma-informed journey, you're passionate about this work and you're looking to gain confidence, you're looking to share your journey, share your challenges and share your wins, uh, to get inspiration, also to help to inspire others, I want to invite you to check out Trauma Therapist 2.0 by going to traumatherapist2.com. That's traumatherapist, the number two, dot com. All right, guys, welcome back to the Trauma Therapist Podcast. Today, I am very excited to have back uh, Dr. Peter Bernstein. Peter, welcome. Thank you very much. I'm glad you called me Peter. I like that. <laughs> All right. Before we start here, I just want to say that um, Peter is one of the most amazing interviews I've had. And I, I mean that sincerely. The, the interview that I... Are you tired of spending countless hours buried under mountains of progress notes or clinical notes? It's time to focus on what truly matters, which is providing exceptional care to your clients. Introducing Text Expander, your ultimate solution to help you streamline documentation and boost your productivity. I've been using Text Expander for years, and it's one of the tools I use every single day. 
if you're a therapist, if you're a coach, any content or text you use on a regular basis in your progress notes, for example, your name, address, or even longer forms, paragraphs of notes or sections of reports, you can create a shortcut for it. Text Expander automatically populates entire paragraphs of text, saving you valuable time and effort, and it allows you to get back to what truly matters, your clients. Text Expander is offering the Trauma Therapist Podcast listeners 20% off when you go to textexpander.com slash trauma. That's textexpander.com slash trauma. First did with you really set the tone for what I hope this podcast um, uh, is about. And I want to direct everyone to, to listen to that, uh, episode 91. But uh, anyway, I, so I just want to set the tone here. So uh, having said that, uh, Peter's the founder and director of the Bernstein Institute. As a coach, mentor, educator, and trainer, Peter has almost 50 years of experience providing relief and recovery from trauma and emotional and physical pain. Peter's unique approach utilizes a combination of coaching, mentoring, and body work to offer hope and healing through transformative resilience. Um, so you're at the Peter, you're at the uh, Bernstein Institute. You also have a podcast we'll talk about later. But um, anyway, so welcome. Thanks so much for uh, for for coming back. I like this better. It's on Zoom. I can see you. Yeah, I, I love this format. We've been using it too, and I I never thought I'd like it. I love it. Nice. So we enjoy Zoom too. <laughs> awesome. So this is good. so remind um, our listeners where where you're from originally and where you're right now. Where I'm from originally. Yeah. From uh, Newark, New Jersey, originally. Is that what you okay. mean? Yeah, yeah. Have- Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Much different life than I have been living. And uh, actually, I've drawn a lot from my experiences growing up the hard way. And uh, uh, becoming a, a psychotherapist and now as a consultant, mentor, and coach um, has been a real change of life for me. And yet, so many of the things I learned as an entrepreneur, I have my own construction business, a big one. And I also had some pretty hard hits there, uh, dealing with organized crime. Not that they were my friends, it was the opposite. I was one of the few people that stood up against them. And it was a hard, it was a hard go when I was young, so I thought I could beat them. I didn't realize how dangerous they were. And um, basically, they, they, I left with my life. And, uh, but also one of the people that uh, uh, saw that I had been taking care, I had a lot of workers at the time, and, I took a, a certain interest in them beyond my work. And in the world I came from, that would have been considered vulnerability or a weakness. So I didn't really want anybody to know. And a fellow that had been watching me, who was my accountant, I didn't even know. Had, had, uh, after about three years, he called me into his office and I, I talked differently than I do now. And he says, we need to sit and talk. And I remember looking at him and I go, and I used to talk there. I go, what do you want? What? And uh, he says, no, we have to sit down and talk. And I says, I know we've lost everything they got. He says, no, it's about something else. And the man sat me down and he cared about me. And uh, he says, you know what? I've watched you for the last three years and I know 
that you have a certain side to you that you don't let anybody see, that you really have a compassion for your workers and get involved in helping them and their families. He said, you know, that's a real, that's a special calling. I didn't even know what a, I looked at it, I go, what's a calling? I didn't even, he says, did you ever hear about with a psychologist is I couldn't even spell it yet. I said, what's a psychologist? I didn't know. It was so different. He says, well, those are professionals that help people. And at that time I said, that's nice. So you have to go to school for that. And he says, I said, I was thrown out of school. He says, you're young. Why don't you go start your life and act your age? So basically he helped me get started again. And I hadn't realized, but he actually had a lot of influence in organized crime protecting me. I thought it was how strong and tough I was. Turned out that my accountant uh, was related to some very powerful, not that he was involved. And they, uh, and he was covering for me for oh, a long time. I didn't know that. Because most people who stood up to them didn't make it out. And um, I did. But then he said uh, it was time for me to leave and get my life started on the right track and get back to school. And he said, you got about three weeks to leave New Jersey. So um, I left in four weeks. But it basically... Uh, and he says, and I want you to go back to school. And uh, he gave me, actually helped me financially because I had no money at the time. And, and I said, so where am I supposed to go? And he says, the furthest place from New Jersey you can find. And he says, weren't you in the Army in California? He says, that's a good place. So <laughs> I came back to California and did, and I actually did get started again very quickly going back to school and also getting jobs working in four, uh, group homes. Mm-hmm. And, are, and I'm working with the, kids that were uh, troubled kids. And it, to me, it was like, well, this is the way I am. So I could relate to this. I couldn't relate to anything else in California at the time. It was so different from my lifestyle, but I could relate to people in prison and kids. And that's where I got my start. And some people at San Jose State had heard about me and they'd asked me to come and talk at classes. And then they said, yeah, after a while, they said, have you considered going back to school to get a master's? And he says, well, we'll help you. They told me, we'll help you get into school. And they did. And so I started there. I had a lot of good mentoring and, and support. And I was way outside the box of the typical students. So these professors took a real special interest in me. And they were terrific. I don't think I would have made it, not grade-wise, but other things going on in my life. And they really did a great job. They helped me. And then I went on, um, did a, a three-year internship at a hospital, got uh, uh, which And after that, I decided that I definitely don't want to deal with the medical model because all I saw was drugs and, and uh, electroshock treatment that I had to be involved in. And I didn't like yeah. it. So that was considered the gold standard at that time. To me, it was the worst. So I changed. I was in a PhD program and I decided that's not worth the direction. And I changed it and um, took over a drug and alcohol program in San Rafael called Centerpoint, which today is a big program. And that gave me a chance to be exposed to some other kinds of work and people, and it gave me a new direction. And uh, I've been following that direction, geez, it's been almost 50 years. It'll be 50 mm-hmm. years in September. Well, let's, yeah. if, we, if we can, Peter, I want to kind of hone in here on what's been going on. I mean, I wanted to bring you on here to talk about uh, this, what you do, what your expertise is and specialization, specialization is within the context of this, this pandemic, this outbreak, you know, you, you're one of your, I know your specialties is, is resilience and what that means. But if I, if I can, I want to put on the table here, the question, which is, you know, how is this 
pandemic, this outbreak, what effect do you think it's having on us on a, on a macro kind of global level, if you will? And then let's kind of dial into individual from an individual perspective. Absolutely. And, and we have been very involved in, um, you know, we've been another worked in other crises before. The Great Recession was a devastating crisis too, and that's when we wrote our book and did papers and and we help people with a lot of traumatic situations. That's the world that we live in, helping them recover. So what we're seeing, and also as caregivers ourselves, we're involved in an extraordinary reality. We deal with death, dying, and sickness all the time. Well, what we found in that kind of world is that doing that kind of work throws the worker back on themselves because we're in in situations that are so overwhelming that no matter how our intentions are so good to fix something and make them better, we run up against situations that we can't and we have to change and we have to give up a lot of our control. And that's a tough thing to go through when you're helping somebody who's sick and dying um, or dealing with crises. And that's what we deal with. But it makes us look, it throws you back on yourself in a number, a number of ways. Number one, it makes you take a real genuine look at yourself, whether you choose to or not, it happens, or you're going to burn out and run away. So in that process of time, it's quite emotional, no question. It's very painful. But if you're going to be an authentic human being and relate to your fellow man in whatever stage of life they're in, particularly the crises and the their epidemics of life, um, you got to be a real authentic, genuine person. And that's the only thing that truly works. And you got to be a a person who wants to give and care for someone else. Now that means you may not get very much back because you're the one who's doing all the giving. Mm -hmm. So we've we've had a lot of experience helping caregivers as well as ourselves. And one of the things that we see is that there are situations we have no control over. We can't always choose the difficulties and challenges that come at us. But there's a very well-known writer, his name is Viktor Frankl, and he wrote out of the Holocaust period. He's one of the few people I really liked when I was getting my master's. And he, he talked about, we can't always choose, and he came out of the Holocaust, these incredible crises that you go through, but you can choose how you respond to them. In fact, right to the end, you can choose to have a dignity within yourself right to the end. And he wrote beautifully about it, a great writer. I believe that that's a very down-to-earth truth. In the pandemic, and we see, what we're seeing is a lot of people are being thrust into an extraordinary reality, not the norm. A lot of people who have held on to certain values or certain things that gave them a sense of security, gave them a sense of control, gave them a sense of routine. And, you know, it was financial, it was work, it was striving to get ahead, um, it didn't have a whole lot to do with caring for your fellow man. It had to do with you. And uh, yeah, that's just the way it works. And people spent an awful lot of emphasis on it. I've spent a lot of time on that. And when you hit an epidemic or a pandemic like this, that's stripped away overnight. Mm. All the things that we valued and put our faith in have been just, they're torn away instantly. And we've seen that in other crises too. And what we see is, a lot of people are in a very fragile state because of that, because what they really believed in can be ripped away and taken away very quickly. Now, we've seen that with people with their health, death and dying, financial. We've seen all of that, and we live in it. Now we're seeing it on a grand scale, enormous. 
what I'm realizing and what I see is that a lot of people who have been running away from a very difficult but a, a certain norm of life, which is that extraordinary reality, a condition of life that deals with death and dying, sickness, a certain vulnerability that most of us don't want to be involved in and would run the other way, most of us. Well, when that happens, the unfortunate part is it leaves us in a very fragile state when things do hit the fan mm -hmm. and we're not prepared. So what we're seeing on a massive level is that's what's happening. People are being thrust into something they've been, they would not want to deal with. They don't want to even admit to. The thing that they've put their security in is being torn away in, overnight. And their fear for their health, their fear for their finances, their families, their community is all going down fast, very fast. What we're seeing in the early stages of this is how unprepared people are personally to cope. And um, they're running scared. They're terrified. They're paranoid. They're watching the news and getting overwhelmed by all the negativity. And we do, and aside from taking the normal precautions that are important, which is normal fear, people are going way over the edge. And so what we're seeing so far, and I think this week, we're, we watch this stuff weekly. This week, people are being encouraged to reach out a little bit more and care for someone who may not be doing as well as you, to give of themselves, to get some of those barriers down and take a look around you. There's people that are hurting to slow down and to be a little bit more genuine and caring. We're seeing that begin to happen. Um, we knew it would. For the last two weeks before this week, it wasn't, I didn't see much. I saw people really behaving poorly and not showing any caring or trust for their fellow man in a big way. And I've seen some anecdotal experiences that are, were mind-blowing when I saw adults act the certain way that they've done. Um, an example was I was in Safeway. Most of my staff goes to do the shopping, but I said, I'll do it. And I went and there was, of course, big lines. And I was waiting in line and people were, it was tense. If you go, people are really tense and it wasn't a pleasant thing, but you know, I could smile. I could care about others. And I do, but there was an old man and he was obviously had some dimension. He was very confused trying to find where he was. The lines were very long. And I said, look, take my spot. You can do it. The people behind me went irate, absolutely furious. And they're watching the same confused old man. And I, of course, me, coming in from Jersey and my ally, I'm knock it off. It's my spot. He, leave, can't you see the old man needs help? Don't say another word. And of course, they shut up because the other side of me is there too. But honestly, I'm watching this and I'm going, they're seeing the same thing I am. And all they cared about was themselves. Mm. And that's what, what I was seeing. I've seen other episodes in other places like that too. That I... I don't like, of course, that, that breaks. So well, let me, so what, let me just get a stop here for a second. So what I'm hearing you say is that this crisis in and of itself is, has really been acting like a mirror to not only our culture, but us individually. And, and what we're seeing is people, many of whom myself included to a certain degree um, are, are, are forced in a sense to be with themselves, confront themselves to be alone, to not be rely, reliant upon their job, the money coming in, all those securities. And it's, it's making people go nuts. Well, it is. And we, you know, uh, yes, the answer is yes. But I use it as an, an analogous situation. We, we help a lot of caregivers and first responders. We all go through this. 
but most people don't. Where the situations throw them, throw our, it throws us up against ourselves. What do we see? We don't see our strengths only. We see the big gaping holes, and maybe we're not so wonderful and capable at times, and maybe we're not the best people. But the real genuine caregivers are willing to own that and learn from it. And it's a painful process, but it's part of living. Now. Other people have to do that too, and it's a painful process, and they don't have the coping skills because they've been running from that kind of, who wants to look at that? Let's be honest, all of us, you look at it, it's painful. So I see that happening quite a bit. And for a while, um, what I'm seeing is the reactions aren't, aren't too good. This week, uh, we've been doing it, but I'm hearing a lot more encouragement to, hey, there's other people not doing as well, you know, give a little time to helping others. That really is one of the anecdotes to healing through, or certainly processing a, a healthier way to move through a crisis. It's, I think it's so, I knew it was going to happen. I didn't know when, what phase of it. I am beginning to see a little bit of it. We certainly did in our podcast, the last three of them encouraged people to, hey, don't just be thinking about yourself. Take a look at other people because as you reach out and show some empathy, that's going to really bring you back to a better place in yourself. And it does help. No question about it. Get your mind off yourself and your fears. And it puts your mind on giving and caring for others who are hurting. So I feel that that's a one of the true anecdotes. There's many others. We have papers that we've written. We've just put sub submitted one to the uh, Press Democrat that talks about the steps that people can take to find hope mm -hmm. in healing, even through suffering crisis and struggle we've been doing this on our podcast for 77 hours mm -hmm. so we're, we're talking about the the uh survivor's guide to life podcast yes okay and i'll have that linked up at the show notes page and, and so you, okay you've been doing about what 70 77 some hours of 77 okay a bunch of episodes on there which is awesome um, so, okay. So in, in addition to reaching out and helping someone else, which I love, just what else can someone do? I know you have a, a list, but yeah, we do. And we have a paper on it that's, that's come out, but, uh, it's how to survive the, uh, the COVID-19 crisis and, uh, how you can find help and, and healing help. And what do we say? Hope and strength. Hope, help and health and strength through it all. For us, that's an old light. We've been, that's what we encourage people to do. But now it's, not, like you said, massive. Right. Uh, I've never seen anything this massive, really. Um, so we know it's on a much bigger level, and a lot of people are going to need encouragement and support. They also have to be aware of certain things, not to let the spirit of fear take them over. And um, we, it's all around us. The key really is to be able to deal with the fears that are, healthy, like taking certain precautions, you have to, but not to get so consumed where the fearfulness becomes hysteria, panic, um, mm -hmm. reaching, you know, being not, not very nice to your fellow man, uh, doing some pretty destructive stuff and hitting paranoia. There's a, and we've seen people go there. I think a lot of people have been on the verge of panic, really. And that's what you feel when you go in the markets and you go on the street, right. you can cut it with a knife. We have also seen in our work at the Institute something, and we know this is true because the fearfulness, if it gets out of control, triggers off in your nervous system a hyper aroused state, a hyper alert state. 
And the problem with that is that it it uh, creates a certain adrenaline and cortisol level that actually um, decreases your, your immune system's ability to fight disease. Guess what that opens up? It opens you up to be more susceptible to the COVID-19 virus. Mm-hmm. We've also had people that have come to us that their blood pressures went through the roof. We had to send one to the ER. It wasn't from the virus, but he got vertigo. He was very dizzy. His high blood pressure was through the roof, and he was he got really sick. We know that if this one went further, he could have had a stroke or a heart attack. It can happen. It's not an exaggeration because we've seen a couple of cases of that in our work. People get carried away. If the other part that we have seen that makes the fearfulness more grandiose is people that have had past trauma in their lives mm-hmm. and, they, and they've either buried it or think they got through it. This kind of thing triggers that. And then those fears begin to come up into the present and contaminate and overwhelm the present. So instead of having a normal fear reaction, it's much too strong and much too powerful and much more de- destructive. So that's one thing people have got to be aware of. They've got to settle down. There's another. There's others that we think about too, and that we tell people about. Is yes, yeah. There's the realities are yes. We and what we've just talked about is we all have put our security and faith in tangible things. We all have done that. Mm-hmm. There's a, and you know what? We have to to a certain degree, of course. But there's a certain point we've overdone it, and it leaves us in a very fragile state because when those tangible things are torn away, protection of our health, our families our finances, we are left so vulnerable, not in a good way, in a very fragile way. There's another side to it, and it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be attentive to paying attention to very real things. There's another side, we call it the non-tangibles. What does that mean? The things that really matter, caring about your fellow man, being more loving, being more selfless, Um, and that's not easy. It wasn't easy for me, I'll say that. But Learning things that have true value, they, those are the things that truly protect us during these very difficult times. And those are the things that are revealed to us, not just the bad stuff, but the things that really matter. Well, it, re, it helps us reset our value system very quickly about what's really important. And it slows us down because we obviously can't go to work. Uh, we're, everybody's living in a pretty confined way. But it gives us time to rethink and reevaluate how we've been living and what our va- where we have really put our value system and putting it more into the, it gives us the time to adjust and put ourselves more in a, in, in focusing on what really matters mm-hmm. and getting to appreciate and be grateful for the little things. And Not it, to sound cliche, but it almost sounds like this, this experience, this pandemic, this outbreak is an opportunity. We just did a paper. You haven't read our paper yet. It is an opportunity. It yeah. will be. The thing that we're very, what we pay attention to is being sensitive to the stages and phases of the crisis. We wrote the paper a while ago, and I said, and we were talking about how to, it was called, how to turn surviving into thriving. And I said, not right now. People aren't into thriving. We have to help with the survival stage and modify the paper as we move through it. So we rewrote it. And it wasn't about thriving, it was about surviving. We know that there is value, a transformative value going through these times. We don't always know what it's gonna be, but there is always hope. 
and if you lose sight of the hope and you begin to focus on your emotional voices, which are discouragement, despair, uh, anger, frustration, and all of that, and the voices of emotion take over, there goes your perspective. Not, you're not really getting an active perspective. What, re, what it really takes is getting that stuff diffused and decompressed, which we do here at the Institute. But that doesn't change the crisis. It changes how we respond to it, though. And when you have the hope, even in the midst of all of this, there's something deeper inside that tells you we're going to get through this. And we may never be the same again. And I heard Dr. Fauci say that, but it was so negative. He was asked about, well, do we, will we ever be the same? It sounded so despairing and hopeless and negative and dark. It wasn't accurate. What's accurate is, no, we'll never be the same again. But what can really come out of it is an improvement. It can be a new hope, a, re, a, a redo of ourselves. Not like our old coping skills, because they may not work anymore. But we'll develop new skills that will be much more present day, much more appropriate. And we'll deepen it in ourselves to be better people and be more effective and more impactful. So we feel that crises, suffering, and pain is an opportunity. But if I say that, well, you're gonna thrive someday, that's about the most insensitive thing right now you could say. Because mm -hmm. we know we gotta give people the skills right now, how to calm down and deal with one day at a time. Don't get ahead of yourself. Because if you listen to the news too much, you're gonna be worried about what's gonna happen next month, next year, mm -hmm. next week. You, all we can do is deal with today and do the best we can with today. So it gives us a way to self-correct and not get too far ahead of ourselves. Yeah, that's exactly what happened to me when this thing first started happening. And uh, I realized my wife was going to be continuing going out to work. And now here I was with two young kids at home 24-7. And the news, I was going nuts. Yeah, I was getting, I found myself getting really anxious about what was going to happen. And I was like, I got to, I got to. And I did exactly what you said. I kind of reeled things in and I said, wait a minute, I got to take control of the situation here. I cannot look at the news every day, which I love doing. Yeah, no. I just got to take it one step at a time. And it really helped me kind of control my own, um, what, zone in a sense, More both physically and emotionally and mentally. Yes. And yeah. you can deal with the immediate needs. More. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, these are those are real steps in, in surviving, you know, not getting ahead of ourselves. It's so easy to listen to the news, and it's very hard to stay in the present because they're already. I was to Fauci, and I used to like him, and now I listen to him. I think he's not doing anybody any good. He's scaring the heck out of everybody in the future. I listen to it and go, he's wrong. Yes, we won't be the same, but we will be different and better. It will be a transformative experience that will bring about a resilience that people don't know that they're capable of right now, but they'll find out getting through this, that they do have a resilience. Right. And you're talking about Dr. Fauci, who is president Trump's uh, advisor, one of his I like medical advisors. I did like, I think he's just too close yeah. to the now. Yeah. 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 And that he does know a lot, but now it's, you know, when you're that close to the picture and you have that much influence and power, it's pretty hard to get our egos out of the way. And now he's, he's predicting the future in a very negative way. And he's wrong. It's not like that. And we've been through crises with people before. Does it take a toll? Of course, you bet. But we're going to find that we can survive. We can get through it and we'll be better for it because we'll develop an inner strength and capability of coping that we didn't even know before that we had. Mm -hmm. Our old coping mechanisms will have to be morphed and changed because the old ones aren't going to work anymore. 
it's amazing how much more effective you can become when you begin to deal with the present instead of using your old ways of coping. We discovered that in the Great Recession. And I remember people were just, that's why we wrote our first book. People were so paralyzed with fear about what was happening. We knew we had to start getting some papers out, rewrite the book, do whatever we could to get them to start moving into the present and coping effectively with this new reality. It took a little time, but it takes mentoring. It takes coaching. The only reason I knew how to do this is I'd been through this and worse before, not on a grand level as the pandemic, but in my life, I'd been through plenty and helped plenty of people. So through the skills of going through that and knowing not only to survive, I became a much better person because of that. And my arsenal of coping grew immensely. So I know that's what will happen with this. But right now, it's a little early to start telling people you're going to thrive and do wonderful. Mm -hmm. It's important to know how to make it through each day and, and, and make the best of it and take a look at yourself. This is a great time to reevaluate some of the things you may have been doing and being committed to that you don't want to do anymore. Maybe there's things in your life that you've wanted to do. This will give you time to rethink. And that we found that in the last crisis. Um, what else do we see? We saw people examine their spirituality. Now, I don't mean religiosity necessarily, but people began to look at that side of things because they didn't have control. Something did, greater power than any of us. And there was a meaning and a purpose to it all, but I'll be darned if we knew what it was. So it begin, we begin to look at, and the people who have worked in crisis a lot and have been through the, the immense panic and intensity of it, in the midst of it, I've always, um, not religiously, there's no question, I'm not in control. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to just survive through these things and help other people. But I know right in the midst of it, something else is in control and is in power and it's not me. And I've just got to trust that we're going to get through this. And this is a life and death kinds of crises. And yet, it, and it's true. But it's like we wouldn't awaken to that necessarily unless everything's been stripped away. And the situation's in our face so hard-hitting that we're right up against ourselves. So there's always that element. I've seen people come back from Iraq and Afghanistan who are very religious people. And all of a sudden, they're not religious anymore. They're furious at God. And we've helped them. Not that we've been able to straighten out their spiritual side. But we've seen that it, we're not talking about what people profess. We're talking about really looking at the real honest truth about we all have a spirituality about us and we got to look at it. We've seen people who never believed in God or atheists. I've taken people through terrible times mm -hmm. and they've had to look at it. I didn't change them. I'm not saying that I was able to do anything that way, but they looked at it. And I remember taking people, I, one lady I took through her, her, she had by mistake run over her husband and killed him and she loved him. And we took her through that. And I remember she was an atheist. And I remember she said, I wish I weren't because I don't have anything there to turn on, turn to right now. And I remember it wasn't like I could encourage you because she said, there's nothing there in me. I knew better, but she was, she had a certain belief system. I wasn't going to start confronting her about that, but that was what she was examining her spiritual life. And she saw a big void and she saw the need that she had and she had nothing there. And I remember saying that she was in tears. And I remember she, there was no, she just said, I'm not going to, I don't know where to go with this, but I'm not going to change. I'd like to, I, if I, to be honest with you, Peter, 
I wish I could change this because I don't know what to do now, but this is where I am. And you have, you're in a lot of hope in your in everything you're saying, but I'm hearing a lot of hope now in your voice. As we as we kind of wind down here, you know, and one of one of the reasons why I love talking to you is because you have this ability to cut to the core of what's important, you know, and, and you, and you talk about that, about being authentic and helping each other and helping one another um, and kind of getting outside of our own uh, selves in a sense to help other people. Right. For those people who are listening, Peter, who are like, yeah, this sounds great. I, I want to help people, but I don't even know if I can at this point. What's, what's a first step for those people? There is a first step. Sometimes we're not ready to help others. We need to ask for help for ourselves and not to be ashamed about that. In these kinds of times, when we really look at ourselves, we may not be able to help others because we need help. And a lot of people have had that barrier um, of not letting people see their real troubled side or their weak side or their difficult Mm -hmm. side. And this is a time for them to evaluate that. And if they need help, they need to reach out themselves for themselves too. That's very important. We've seen people come here at our institute and they're in trouble. And we know that. And they first have to take care of themselves. But through that period of time, they also can be developing a certain empathy because they're going through it. It gives you a deeper understanding for your fellow men. And all of a sudden those barriers come down. I love that component. I think that's been one of the biggest steps in my own growth. I've been a a PhD a psychologist and people relate to me that for like that for years, you know, through the crises I've been through, I'm now taking care of my wife who's, who's in the last stages of her life. It strips that away. And you realize that it creates a silo of protection rather than a real connection empathetically with your fellow man and maybe to you. And I realized, don't call me Dr. Bernstein, I'm Peter. And I'm much more comfortable with that. I get a fulfillment out of, people relating to me and sharing with me as a fellow human being. Mm-hmm. And I do the same with them, not hemorrhage my pain into them, but my heart and my compassion and empathy is much greater and much more accessible now than it used to be. And to me, I value that transition from where I've been for a long time in my profession to becoming more of a human being. As my 95-year-old mother says, you know, you're a lot nicer now than you used to be. Back to yourself. That's my mother. And she talks like that. She's from New Jersey. But she's, she said that, and she's almost 95. And she, you know what I said? You're right. I didn't even know. And I thought I was a very compassionate guy in a compassionate profession. Not like I am now. Now I like to be a human being first. And I want people to feel and know that when I'm with them, that you're dealing with a real being who feels with you, who goes through his own pain and isn't ashamed to say that, but who can be here for you and put his own stuff aside temporarily to show a selflessness. Again, I never even knew how to, I love the concept, but selfless love, I honestly didn't even know how to do that myself. That's where I live now. But yes, so much of the things, things that I depended on are gone. My wife is going, and that breaks my heart. I adore her. We've been together 46 years. But you know what? Through it all, I've been able to become a better giver, caregiver, a loving person who considers doing that a privilege. And that's the way I relate to people now, helping them. It's a privilege to do that for them. I don't know if I felt that way before. 
So there is value in crisis, as hard as it is. There is hope. And it does come through pain, struggle, and suffering. And that's what I see. How, you know, can people... How do people get this from you? Well, I mean, do you all, what do you, you, you said you're a consultant, a coach, a mentor. Yeah. I mean, people who, I could imagine people listening to this and just going, yes, I want this. How, how, how can people get more of this from you? Well, certainly at our, our Bernstein Institute for Trauma Recovery. But okay. I'll be, and we have a nonprofit that we work with called, and they sponsor our podcast, the Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment that works for, okay. but I'll be honest with you. That's why I developed the podcasts, because we wanted to reach more people and we wanted to show them and teach them the kind of things that we're talking about on a much greater scale than we were able to do. It's been a phenomenal success in the sense of we're fulfilled by it and we're reaching people all over the world by being genuine, authentic human beings ourselves. And, and this is the Survivor's Guide to Life right. podcast, and right. it, it's a survivorsguidetolife.com. The Survivor's Guide. And it, okay. We talk about how to find resilience and hope through struggle, suffering, and pain. Yeah. That's what it's about. Peter, I want to thank you so much, man. You, you're the real deal. And uh, it's, it's amazing. I mean, this is what I love about this podcast, and it's just an honor to have you on here, man. Thank you. It's a privilege to be called to be on your show today. Thank you. And to see you while I talk to you instead of being, this is better. Right. I like this. All right, man. You take care. Stay well. All right. God bless you. Several years ago when I was in graduate school and um, just starting seeing clients, I was doing a lot of community, like an hour and a half each way to my site. I was always thinking about my clients. Um, you know, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Uh, why didn't I do that? Why I should have done that? And I always thought to myself, wouldn't it be awesome if I had a like a seasoned master trauma therapist sitting right there beside me uh, in the passenger seat? Well, obviously that didn't happen. So I created the program and it's Trauma Therapist 2.0. It's my online community specifically dedicated for new trauma workers. If that's you, if you're just starting out on this trauma-informed journey, you're passionate about about this work and you're looking to gain confidence, you're looking to share your journey, share your challenges and share your wins uh, to get inspiration, also to help to inspire others, I want to invite you to check out Trauma Therapist 2.0 by going to traumatherapist2.com. That's traumatherapist, the number two.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.